We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys know where to follow me. I'm at Mike Dugar. That's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Also, shout out to all of our YouTube subscribers. Seahawks Man to Man on YouTube. If you're one of our Spotify, Apple, Athletic listeners, hop over to YouTube, click subscribe. Just come right back. We appreciate the love there. Chris, talk to him. Yes, on the road to 2,000 subscribers. So right now we're at, what, 1,700? So we appreciate all the new subscribers tapping in. Appreciate the love. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. All right, our pre-draft coverage uh, continues with another specialist because like I've been saying all, all pre-draft, uh, me and Chris don't know what we're talking about when it comes to draft. So shout out to Danny Kelly of the Ringer breaking down the draft with us, Jordan Reed of ESPN breaking down the quarterbacks uh, in this class. And now to break down the offensive linemen in this draft class, we have a former NFL offensive lineman, uh, the homie Ray Roberts. Uh, Ray, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey man, thanks thanks for inviting me. I, I did have one question. What what do you guys was it the uh the man to man podcast? Uh let's we brainstormed that in what 2017 at Starbucks. Yeah, we had a long discussion <laughs> about what to name the show and uh we just came to the like we wanted something that was like a double entendre, so to speak. So got you. we got two guys talking. Seahawks used to play a decent amount of man, uh oh, at least you know, okay. cover one, you know, uh mostly cover three back then, but you know what I mean. Like that was yeah. Kind of a play on words there. I wish we still had the sheet that we uh, brainstormed, <laughs> like all the ones that didn't. There was I don't remember any of them, but I, it was a long. It was a bad long yeah, it was list. A bad. <laughs> my, my brain had gone a different direction because I was like, like you know, sometimes when you say, "Hey, this is man to man," like that's that kind of has some aggression to it, and I was right. just like, "Oh, I wonder, if, like you know, if they get down like that on here, you know, what I'm saying like <laughs> uh, they're gonna, you know, I got to be ready to, to to get my verbal my verbal battle on, you know." We do have those, but. For the most part, like Mike said, you know, we were trying to think of a way just to signify two dudes talking football. How can we signify it and make it cool and fun at the same time without having like some stern title like whatever else we wrote down? Yeah, I know one of them was like Hawk Hawk Talk or something with Seahawks in the name stuff. Like I do remember we this is 2017. So like, yeah, this this is a little bit ago. But yeah, that's how we came across that. We haven't had no one's really asked us that. The only time we've ever got asked about it was one time this lady emailed me and said our name was basically sexist because it didn't account for all the women that watch football uh, and enjoy it and listen to the podcast. And I had to explain to her the thing. And she still didn't care. (laughs) I can't remember her name. I've changed emails since then. I used to work at the Seattle PI. But lady, if you're still listening, thank you. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we're not we're not changing the name. It's it's still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's all good. So uh, for uh, folks. Ray's a member of the Seahawks radio network, uh, used to uh, first round pick of the, of the Seahawks in 1992. I don't know if Ray's going to make you feel old. Chris and I were both born in 1992. Yeah. Chris and I both turned 30 in July of this year. Uh, when I was looking that up, I was like, ooh, man. Like, oh. Yeah, I, I don't feel old anymore. I just, I just accept old. I wake up old. I live old. I go to sleep old. That's just what it is. Uh, Ray also is part of a Detroit Lions offensive line blocking for Barry Sanders. Man, um, that is uh, 
quite the quite the career accomplishment right there. That's just some good time. If you're ever bored on in the NFL and you're like looking at NFL stuff, people just go click on some Barry Sanders highlights. You'll right. you'll just get lost in the sauce for about an hour. Well, we, we, and we watch watch film, we would get lost in the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to get graded, and we're just like, man, look at that move Barry just made. Oh, I missed that block. My bad. But look what Barry did. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, Barry ran sometimes like not like he didn't need y'all, but sometimes he just be like, "Look, man, I got this. Even if you guys mess up, like I'm just gonna make six dudes miss, and we might score." <laughs> right. That was me, but I tell you. All right, let, let's uh, let's jump into this, uh, Ray. Me and you have talked about um, the Seahawks uh, and their O line stuff quite a bit. Uh, we talk at training camp, you know, when we're watching and stuff like that. And the Seahawks have a really bad rep when it comes to offensive line, whether it's drafting, signing them in free agency. Um, and we're not going to rehash all of those, but like we've gotten to the point where the Seahawks, they usually grade poorly in offensive line play. The draft picks have been a lot of misses instead of hits. Just in terms of just drafting it specifically, though, uh, what, what would you say has been their biggest misstep in that regard? I think their, their biggest misstep is, uh, is that they've tried to find too many utility dudes. Uh, and that's a way to save money. If you have a guy that can play guard and center or guard and tackle or and so you have a you have an opportunity for that guy to fill two spots like like Jamarco Jones, for example. I think Jamarco is a uh, a very good football player. I think he could be a starting league if someone just finds a place for him and, and lets him play that spot. And I think over the over the course of the years, Seattle has gone that route. And uh, and you're just at a point now where and this is what the language I've used before is that we need dudes that have PhDs and doing what they do. Like we need a, a guy that, that plays tackle who has a PhD in playing tackle. We, have, we need a dude that plays center has a PhD that plays center. And that's how we, and that's how we need to work it across the board. When I played, a guy that could play multiple positions was a backup, was always a backup dude. It was never a dude you expected to be a starter, but it was a guy that like he his value to the roster was that uh, if somebody went down, he could step in and play for a couple play a couple games or whatever and hold the spot down. But that wasn't those weren't the dudes you were looking to be starters. And I think the Seahawks have kind of gone this route, whether through the draft, where they're trying to find dudes that if he doesn't work out at tackle, we can put him at guard. If he doesn't work out at guard, we can put him at center. And to me, that that uh, lowers the, the the quality of the player. Now, every now and again, you know, teams will have hits like that, but for the most part, that's not the way to build your offensive line. And so there's a few examples of that. I was Ethan Postick has played everything uh, in Seattle. Justin Britt, I, I think, literally played tackle, guard, and center before settling in. There's been plenty of guys. Japan Fetty starting at guard before moving to tackle. Um, like I said, Jamarco Jones played a little bit of everything. Even Damian Lewis has already played uh, center in addition to playing both guard spots. So when that happens, particularly for young guys, what does that do for their development or maybe lack thereof when they are asked to do a little bit of everything instead of mastering one thing early on? Well, I think it kind of slows them down a little bit. Like the the team, I think, is probably thinking of building value for that player. But when you're not able to just sit in one spot and own that spot, every single little detail about it. Because even though like uh, playing, you say, hey, this guy's right tackle is a left tackle. And you hear the word tackle, you think it's all the same. But it's different. The power angles are different. Like on the if you're on the left side, your inside hand, right hand is strong. If you're on the right side, your left hand is strong. So then when you're switching, like you, you got to make that mental flip in your brain uh, that so you're not pushing real hard with the outside hand and then giving up on the inside rush. If you're a guard, you know, moving the tackle, the space is different. So there's way more space out on on the edge than there is in the middle. So out on the edge, you have to deal with, you know, with really good athletes and a whole lot of space. And the on the guard side, you're dealing with really good athletes in, in a small space and things can happen like that really quick. So like a Fetty, for an example, uh, his his pass set is just naturally for a right tackle and so his shoulders tend to turn to the sideline a little faster than you would want to at a guard so when they had him playing guard and the guys just rushing straight up the field on him he was still doing a tackle set playing guard and you need to be a little bit more square to the line of scrimmage a little bit longer playing guard than you do at tackle and so all those little nuances you know it it doesn't really show up the fans or they don't really understand that piece of it and they just go like oh that dude sucks you know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, and so that's kind of how it how it happens. So even the nuance of going from right side to left side for the guards, like it's not as big, but you're still like those the power angles, just the the uh the side that you're you're using for power and all that kind of stuff is changing. So when you're constantly moving like that, you can't master all those little bitty nuances of that position to make you great at it. Not not good enough, but great at it. And you need guys that are working towards greatness 
not it good enough. Working towards greatness. So let's assume the offensive line from left to right. You got Stone Forsyth, Damian Lewis, Austin Blythe, Gabe Jackson, Jake Curhan. How are you feeling about this current Seahawks offensive line, April 12, 2022? <laughs> I'm, I'll be honest with you, dude. Like those two tackle spots would have me a little bit worried. I think Stone for a guy, like the, the thing that's interesting is Stone, uh, his makeup is real similar to some of the top linemen that they're talking about, you know, coming out this year. Uh, but there, there's something about, to me, sometimes you can be too big and too tall and you mm-hmm. just, just naturally you give up uh, some athleticism and you give up leverage to some of the, to the smaller guys. So if someone's really tight and close and he can get his hands on them, then that's one thing. But when they put them out of space, uh, I think you can expose some of that stuff for, for a guy like stone. And then uh, for, for Jake on the other side, uh, Jake is just limited athletically. And I just think the longer you go and the more time people get to study him, I think they can find ways to expose uh, his lack of athletic ability. Now you're not going to, his, his determination and his drive and his, desire to finish every block like that stuff is great is awesome for jake uh but i just don't know i don't know if that's a long-term solution for right tackle now brandon shell is still out there floating around did you feel that he would i mean outside the injury did you feel that he was a respectable right tackle to get the job done from what you've seen i thought he was yeah and and the, i think the injury stunted his growth though like the first year that he was here you know, obviously he did some good stuff, but then he was injured and, and sometimes he didn't didn't look so great. And then the next year, you know, he's hurt and training camp was hurt. So you just can't you can't uh, expand on the the, the, the foundation you've already created. And so that just kind of just put the brakes on his ability to to get better in this in this offense, because he had actually played better than I thought he was going to play uh, when they signed him. And so uh, and so I think he just really missed out on an opportunity uh to to get better because of the injuries and we played with this dude in seattle named uh, grant fiesel and uh and he used to say great can't make the club in the tub and uh <laughs> so uh he was in That's the a tub good. a lot bro i like and, that uh, you know so so you just can't just get you know it is that part of it is it, some of it you can't control but you just can't that's not a guy you can rely on right now yeah, that's unfortunate because I do remember the rap around him joining the Seahawks was, yeah, he's not all that good. And then he surprised a lot of people. And to your point, you know, in that cold tub trying to stay, get healthy again, that that became an issue. And unfortunately, it's been an issue. Yeah, I want to look. Well, I, was gonna say, just want, he, I mean, to me, he was one of those dudes that like had played enough football that if you got him in the right situation with the right coaching, that he could have a solid career. And that's what I – after the first few games, that's what I expected of him. But then, like I said, the injuries and things just caught up to him. Well, I do want to go look at someone that's going to be 37 if he does return to the Seahawks, and that's Dwayne Brown. From what you saw last season, what are your thoughts on bringing him back for this season if the Seahawks can find a way contract-wise to get him back on the field? I think it, I think it would be uh, – if I was the Seahawks, I would try to bring him back, obviously, at the right number. You can't you know pay him like he's a top flight tackle anymore uh just because they need some of that veteran stuff in that room you know and then whoever the tackles are going to be or if they pick up a tackle in the draft they can learn a lot from this dude this dude is one of the best ever do it and so uh just having that experience now with his ability though um i think it really hurt him hurt him missing all those uh training camp days where he wasn't getting any action missed all the uh uh preseason games and then tried to then uh, meld into an offensive line that was kind of on again, off again, during the preseason and stuff. Uh, and I think his age had caught up to him a little bit. I, I don't know if he was like at the place where Dwayne Brown would normally be to start a season just physically. Uh, and so I, you could see that early in the season. So there were some miscommunication things, but there's also some stuff where you just never see it happen to Dwayne Brown, like where he just got pushed back to the quarterback or – uh, I, I can remember the uh, thing was Griffin from Minnesota beating with a spin move to the inside and stuff like that. Like you just you don't normally see Dwayne getting beaten by stuff like that. Usually Dwayne, uh, you know, will get beaten if it's like a someone play, you know, runs a game or it's a blitz or he's late to to you know picking up someone on a stunt or something like that. Not just someone one on one beating Dwayne Brown. And uh, I think early in the season they had given up like six sacks or something like that. I don't know if he's given up six or seven sacks in his life. 
You know what I'm saying? So yeah. the first half of the season, yeah, giving up six or seven sacks. And so you can say it was communication or it's because he's playing next to a young dude or whatever, but that dude is a beast, bro. And he's played a lot of football. You don't expect him to give up six or seven sacks. So, But I, I think if, if they brought him back, got him into camp, not that he has to take every rep in practice and every rep in the preseason, but that joker needs to take some reps. So he can get, <laughs> yeah, so he can get himself primed. Like, like we were just having this conversation about, you know, me being old, well, Man, you got to get up and shake off some of that rust and get some oil in the joints and all that kind of stuff to get the day going. And, and Dwayne needs to do the same. Yeah, no, I think Dwayne, I think, gave up like eight sacks last year, which is the most since his rookie year. Mm-hmm. His rookie year was in like 2008 or something like that. And yeah, most of those most of those sacks were given up. Yeah, in those first like seven games, I remember going into week 10 against Green Bay. He was just like, look, I haven't been very I can, I need to be better. Yeah, been up to my my standard, and yeah. I think he was he was better after that. Maybe that is yeah. coming reps, um, a bunch of things. Uh, let's so the Seahawks are obviously in need of you know some offensive linemen, uh, in this draft. Uh, but when you before we get into specific guys, I want to know like you turn on the tape with right. an old line prospect. Let's 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 just go with just tackles since so mm-hmm. that's just kind of really what they need the most. You're looking at college tackles. What's the what are the main traits that you're looking for? Well, the, the first thing I look for is I just let the tape run and I just see how important it is to them to finish, like like to drive someone's back into the dirt. And and if you can get up and get another one, get up and get another one. A guy that kind of like in pass protection, if they're uncovered, if they're looking for work, are they just going to sit there and just say like, hey, I'm going to get a plus for this play and just kind of hang out in this space right here. So that that's the very first thing I look for, because that to me is a mentality. Like that's something that can't be coached. Either you either, you either are that dude or you're not. And so I would rather have the dude than to not have the dude. That's the very first thing I look at. The The next thing I look for is uh, their footwork. Uh, because if, you, you, if I can usually look at an offensive lineman and tell from the very first step, whether it's a run play or a pass play, if they're going to have success on that, on that block, just based on what they're trying to get accomplished with the play and the step that they take. So if it's a zone play to the left, for instance, and so we're trying to run it back is aiming for the inside uh, hip of the, of the left tackle. And that tackle steps, his foot steps underneath himself like this versus gaining some ground and some width. Uh, then I know that he's going to have a little bit trouble making that block. You know what I'm saying? Because his footwork isn't right. His foot, his feet didn't get him set in the right path to be successful on that play. Now you can be, but for the most part, you're, you're going to have some some issues with that. So I look, I go from the mindset to the footwork, and then I just look at their overall athleticism, whether they can move laterally, whether they can bend. Uh, some of these taller dudes, like we're saying, like even like a stone foresight, like for a guy his size, he bends okay. But is that okay good enough to bend in the NFL and work? And some a lot of times it's not when the dudes are so big like that. So those that's kind of how I go about it. And then I just try to watch the film. I write down my notes like, OK, this dude is, has some nastiness in him. Uh, this guy has it looks like he has good footwork and then it looks like he has you know good power angles. Then I watch the film to validate that to see if 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 what I if what I'm saying is real. So then I try to find as much tape as I can, different teams, different uh, types of players are playing against different situations to try to figure out if if uh, if what I'm saying is is valid or not. And then obviously you're, you're checking off um, little uh, places where they're not doing so well, you know. So like, maybe there's a guy like the, there's this one one of the guys I covered in pass protection carries his hands really low, and so you do that in the NFL, dudes are going to be right up in your chest, just pinning your hands down, or you know, getting around the corner really fast. So you start to kind of notice little things like that. So uh, the college games are obviously very different than the pro game in a lot of ways, a lot of spread stuff. Like, what are some of the maybe the techniques that work for college guys? Like. A friend, maybe even elite college guy that like, hey, when you try some of that stuff in the pros, dude, you'll be, you'll be in the cold tub here. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of it, a lot of it, uh, when you see the really elite dudes, uh, they tend to, they can get away with so much uh, because they're way much better than the dudes they're playing against. You know, so sometimes a dude is just big and he can just bigger dude. Like I'm bigger than you. I'm putting all this on you. Nothing you can do about it. And that doesn't always play in the NFL because dudes are so big and strong and they don't just stand in one place. They're moving all the time. You think about trying to block an Aaron Donald or somebody like that. This just he's not going to sit in one space like a lot of college players do, and they're just waiting for you to come and you know drive them into the dirt. So uh, sometimes that that evaluation is is a little bit 
it's a little bit harder. Or or like for Damian Lewis, like when I watched Damian Lewis, the first thing I was like said is like this dude's gonna get a lot of holding calls. Uh mm-hmm. because he he was stronger than most of the dudes he played against, and he would just grab them, throw them to the ground. And it's like, okay, that looks great, great highlight film stuff, but in the league, that's gonna be a holding call. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he got a early in his career, he was getting a lot of holding calls because he was grabbing outside and trying to twist and turn dudes. And when you when you try to twist and turn dudes, that's you telling the other guy, I'm just stronger than you are. Because that's not technique. No no coach teaches that or anything. So when you just grab a dude and try to twist and throw him down, you're just saying, like, dude, I'm stronger than you, and this is I'm going to ragdoll you all day just like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so when you get to the league, you're not ragdolling dudes like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. You're not, it's not going to take a dude and throw him to the ground. It's just, I mean, <laughs> it may happen every now and again, but you just consistently are not going to just grab a dude and twist and just throw him to the ground. And uh, Damian Lewis, you know, would, you know, he would uh, get into blocks, stop his feet, start trying to twist and turn to try to overpower dudes, and they'd just slide right off of him and be right in the hole. Or in pass protection, he would just lock out on dudes and plant his feet in the ground without keeping his feet active, and then they would snatch him and throw him down and keep moving. So, like, those are little, little things you see that college players do and get away with because they're so much better usually than the dude they're playing against. And so they just can they can get away with little techniques like that that look great on film and stuff. But when you get to this level, you're talking about the elite of the elite, and that's just not going to happen. Yeah, there's so many little, just even listening to right now, there's so many little stuff with the feet and the hands. There's like, that even, there's so much. It reminds me when I watched the, I watched the 2020 Bills game uh, with Cliff Averill. I didn't travel that year because of COVID. And Cliff just, there were so many, and this is, He'd be like, all right, this play's going to go to the right. And I'm like, how do you know? And he'd be like, well, Mike, it's simple. And then he's got a million things. And I'm like, that, that's not simple. You're like, that's not, that's, you have a different definition of simple than I do. Yeah, you're like, oh, all I had to do was look where the center is and how the back is aligned and where, look at the split of that tackle. Boom, play's going to the right. I'm like, yeah, well, oh. Like, even myself, like when I came to the league, uh, I, didn't, I only played against maybe two players in college that were like legit, like, NFL players, and one of them was my teammate in college. His name was Chris Slade. The other one was Marco Coleman, who played for Georgia Tech, who ended up being uh, first late first round draft pick as, as well. So all the other dudes, like I, however I got to my kick slide and pass protection, or however I engaged him in the run blocking, I was going to win. And so when I got to the league, uh, my second year, Howard Mudd came from Kansas City, our, our offensive line coach, and he goes like, uh, he goes, man, you might be one of the most athletic dudes. I've ever coached, but your technique is like shitty. And so we need to work on that. And so I would go out like in pass protection. If these are my feet, I'm sorry, I, I got to demonstrate it. If, if these, if these, this is my, you know, my, my right leg and this is my left leg. So I want to move this leg first. Uh, but in college, I would move this foot first. So I haven't gone anywhere. And, right. and but I was athletic enough to just kind of skip out there and, and get to do when the league playing against Derek Thomas, you move this <laughs> that dude already at the quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I had to learn. I would sit out in practice before practice and just my first step. I'd do this like 200 times just to train my foot for that thing to move first, because otherwise you're losing ground. You, you, you're you're moving, but you're not going anywhere. And they're moving and gaining ground. And you're running four fives and four sixes and now four fours and four threes. Yeah. Uh, you're you're going to be chasing the whole game. So the, the technique part of it is huge. That reminds me, sometimes you'll see old linemen doing those drills where they're just making a first step. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's called a negative step that they would take. And to your point, if you're going up against Aaron Donald or Derek Thomas, whatever the case may be, they're already at the quarterback because of that negative step. So they're training themselves to, again, get that right step in or that left step so they can make the first positive, not a negative step. So and that's the thing, too. It's like, you know, when they say it's a matter of inches, it truly is a matter of inches because you're talking about taking, you know, three inches towards the defender versus one inch away from or, or not towards him. So it's a matter of just just those three inches that you take will set you up to be successful. And so people think is, you know, they look at like all these like, oh, big, strong, he's stronger and da, da, da. Like, yeah, that happens sometimes. But for the most part, strength washes out in the league. So it comes down to who is going to be technically better, who can execute their technique better, who can ex- execute their what they've been asked to do on offensive defense better and and not as much of the strength thing. Like obviously there's some dudes that, you know, like Larry Allen back in the day, bench pressing 600 and something pounds. Like that's a, that's something different. Those come along <laughs> once in a while, but for the most part, all of us are around the same strength. And so it just comes down to those little bitty 
techniques that can be just a matter of one or two inches that are going to allow you to be successful in life. And I, I promise we'll get into the prospects, but to hearing Ray bring, uh, brings me two things. One, going to when guys go from left to right and how different that is. I remember the first time Dwayne Brown talked about that. He talked about it with me, and then he talked about it with Arian Foster on the podcast. He was in the Pro Bowl one year, um, and he was playing left tackle. But, you know, there's only, there's only so many tackles in the uh, Pro Bowl. And so eventually he had to go on the right to end the game. And I think he gave up the game-winning strip sack against Vaughn Miller uh, is on the right side. And it's just, I think he was, he was telling me and he told Aaron Foster later, like, do you know how hard it was for me to go from the left to the right? And I'm just like, what do you mean? It's what you do. He's like, no, no. Like just going over there was like a learning another language almost is how he explained it. And then of course it's a lot harder when it's Vaughn Miller over there. Well, you think about all the muscle memory too, that you have, right? So all your muscle memory is set up for a, a you know, a different way. And then all of a sudden you flip to the other side and you have to try to reprogram your body to have that muscle memory in a different way. And so you, so you have to, it takes years to get perfect with it on, on one side. And now all of a sudden they go like, Hey, I did that my last year in Detroit. Um, I was coming off of injuries and, you know, just, we we're just trying to figure out an office line to put together that would work. And we didn't have a, a, a good right tackle, but we had drafted a left tackle from Oklahoma in a first round stocker McDougal. So they're like, hey, Ray, we're going to put him at left and put you at right. And in practice, dude, I couldn't block anybody. <laughs> and, and like, I was just like, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out, man. We got to go to the Giants and then to the Jets. And I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And so uh, I, the coach came and was like, hey, like, you know, what do you think? And I said, man, like, just don't pay attention to what I do in practice. Like, I'll make it work in the game, but like, I'm going to look like crap in practice because my brain <laughs> is just so twisted. Like, I can't. I can't get it. And I did. I, I survived the games. I put it that way. Like I wasn't like feeling like myself, but I survived the games. And it's, it's really hard to just switch it like that, you know, and, and it's hard to be a dude that plays both sides and then be awesome at both sides. Like I said, you can get to a level of efficiency on both sides. But when you're, when you're talking about your starters, you want those dudes, you want your right tackle to be a right tackle. You want your left tackle to be a left tackle. You want your guards to be guards and your center to be center. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. And the second, the second thing that I thought of, kind of talking this conversation, that the, to the technique point, I remember Ken Norton telling me a story one time, like when KJ first got there. You know, KJ was uh, he would cross his feet when he was going across the formation. You know, obviously you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to stay square to the line of scrimmage. So to get KJ to do it, he would like tie these bands to KJ's leg to his ankles, and he would make them wear him wear them in practice. It was really embarrassing, actually. This was rookie year. Uh, I don't know if I've told this story on the pod. Sorry, KJ. Uh, but like he uh, he would wear these bands at practice so that he couldn't cross his legs. So like, he was forced to stay square or fall. Um, and that's how and that helped him with his his footwork. His whole I think he wore him his whole entire rookie year. Uh, but yeah. it just like it just shows the little technique stuff. Like he could probably get away with that in Mississippi State. You know, it right. didn't matter. He's yeah. six, player. six whatever, bigger than everybody, strong, athletic, blah blah blah. You get there in the NFL, you cross your legs, all that. You're trying to you know chase down some runs. You are gonna fall. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just all the little technique stuff in the NFL 
is just insane because like you said everyone's just as athletic just as strong you know mm-hmm. just as good you know damian lewis can just toss guys to the ground in college your first day of training camp puna ford's right there you just not <laughs> puna <laughs> right yeah yeah and then, you know sometimes that. too the age difference in college you know you could be a, a fifth year senior playing against a first or second year player so they're not just maturity wise you can just dominate them but in the league you, you're talking about grown men like puna may not be the tallest dude in the world but that joke is all man you know what i'm saying and so right and you have to deal with that so you're just not gonna throw a dude to the ground you every now and again you might get away with it but uh but no nah, that's just not gonna happen all right so we talk a lot of we're talking a lot a bit about o-line here uh i ask you this ray does it make sense for the Seahawks to lock in and number nine, we're going to take the best O-line prospect on the board? Uh, if one of those O-linemen is uh, Iki Iguanu from NC State or the or Neil from Alabama, uh, if it's one of those other dudes, I think it's a stretch to mm-hmm. take a, off the offensive lineman at, at number nine. I would rather see them as a, a defensive back or edge rusher. Edge rusher. Uh, I would rather see them go that route uh, at that spot. Uh, and I, I have a feeling those two dudes will be gone. Yeah, that's kind of I'd say that's kind of the consensus there is that Iki will be gone. I mean, there was some like there was some Vegas odds on like Iki being the first pick uh, mm-hmm. there for a little bit. I think that changed after Jacksonville um, paid uh, Cam Robinson. That changed that a little bit. Uh, the edge rushing stock has gone up a little bit. I just saw a mock today with like Trevon Walker from Georgia going number one. I was like, wait, when did that happen? What happened to Aiden Hutchinson? Uh, but I know you you're, you're high on Iki from NC State. Like, what specifically do you really like about him? Well, I don't know if you guys remember uh, since you're so young, and we've already established that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in the in the early '90s, you know, to maybe like early 2000s, the Cowboys had a right tackle named Eric Williams, and Eric Williams, like it was as close as you can get to just a straight up thug playing foot playing. The technique wasn't the greatest in the world, but this dude would annihilate guys. Like he just beat the heck out of dudes. Like. Like, it was a street fight with him. And that's what I like about uh, Icky is that he brings all of that, but he's probably more athletic than Eric was. And uh, uh, he has good feet. Uh, he, I love dudes that can run block and not go to the ground all the time. Like, if you see a dude blocking and then he falls to the ground a lot, well, you can't block people when you're on the ground. You know what I'm saying? And so he, <laughs> he's a dude, he's a dude that, that can engage and stay engaged. And then he has this desire to just finish and and drive people into the dirt. I mean, just real nasty attitude about him. And uh, and then you know, there's some some things that inconsistency with his with his uh, footwork and his passing pass sets every now and again. But for the most part, they're really good. And so uh, to me, he's the he's the most complete tackle in the draft. When you look at the athleticism, the size, the ability to pass block, and the ability to run block, uh, I think he's the most complete the most complete tackle. And and honestly, like I just, when I see him, I just, he, Eric Williams was, was a little bit bigger dude, but their, but their bodies are almost the same. And, uh, and then their mentality is the same. And that, that was the first person I thought about as I was watching him play was big Eric Williams. Perfect. And then with Evan, you mentioned him as well. What did you specifically like about him and his game as a potential pick that the Seahawks can get if he is available at number nine? Yeah, well, the thing I like about him is that, you know, he's, what, six seven and 350 pounds, whatever. He's a tremendous athlete, but he bends really well. Like, he has good good angles at his ankles, his knees, and his hips. So it's not, his legs aren't straight. He's not standing up tall when he's blocking people. He can keep uh, – he can also keep that balance and, and, that, uh, and stay low throughout the block. So sometimes, like for me, for instance, I have really long legs. And so if you can get me going in pass protection, the further I go back, the taller I would get because my legs are just so long, it's kind of hard to stay low that long. So then people would get me back and then try to bull rush me into the quarterback. And Evan has an ability to stay low throughout the block. And then you add his size and his athleticism. And he has really, I wouldn't say that he plays with explosion, but he plays with a lot of power. So when he, he's like, uh, like uh, I had this old dude in my church named Mr. Ripley, and he used to drive like big 18 wheeler trucks. And when he would walk up and grab your hand and, hey, son, like it was no, you, you weren't getting away from Mr. Ripley. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And so, and Evan has that kind of Mr. Ripley grip. And uh, so once he gets his hands on you, you're done. And so I, I really like that about him. He, I wouldn't say that he's, a, uh, he doesn't finish as, as with the nastiness that, that uh, Icky does, but he does finish. And, uh, and that's what I, I like about him is that uh, there could be some more explosion off the ball coming out of his hips in the run game. Uh, but just overall lateral movement, being able to stay low, stay with those power angles, 
uh, I think that's kind of what he brings to the table. This is some dicey territory we're getting into here, but I will ask it anyway. These guys are so good. Seattle needs left tackle help so bad. Are either these guys good enough to potentially trade up for? I know we talk a lot about trading back. Like maybe when they, maybe if they were like, hey, let's move to six or even just move up to seven so we can right. get Icky or, or Evan Neal. Maybe in the event that there's a run on quarterbacks and D, right. and D linemen or defensive players in the first six picks, are either of those guys worth that potentially? You know, to me, I was thinking about that before we got on the call because I'm thinking if you still have Russell Wilson and you had those picks, then that might be a reason to trade up. But I really, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's as much. And we we don't love Drew Locke, wish him the most success in the history of the world, but don't know if that dude is the long term answer at quarterback. And so if you're still in this kind of, hey, we're not rebuilding but rebuilding mode, you <laughs> might be able, to, <laughs> you might be able to, to grab one of those dudes like uh, the the Penning dude or Cross, you know, down towards the bottom of the first round of one of those second round picks, and then be able to, to let them develop into. To what you want uh, at those because they have all the foundation to do it uh, without you then having to give up those picks to move up. Yeah, part of also in addition to all the things Ray mentioned about traits and what these guys can do, Evan and Icky. The other thing that makes tackles so valuable is they can play for so long. You know, Dwayne's thirty-seven, Andrew Whitworth just retired at like what forty. Trent, uh, Trent Williams is probably the best overall player on offense in football, and as he's like in his thirties, like right. Icky, Evan, they're both twenty-one right now yeah. gold like you wouldn't even pay these guys on a second deal include their fifth year option to like 25 right or something like that and they'd be hitting the market and then they'd get another deal at like 30 like that's how crazy and that's like 10 years of good solid tackle play that's just no that's just crazy the value there that's why these guys are gonna be gone yeah it's uh it's uh i think after those two players i, I could any of those other linemen I'll be fine with taking, like I said, at the end of the first or with one of those picks in the second. I think they they would kind of fall into there. I know other teams may take, you know, may value the value them differently and maybe pick them up before then. But I think it. I think outside of those two dudes, I don't think any other the tackles kind of fall into that top ten pick space. So uh, let's let's move to Charles Cross uh, out of Mississippi State, uh, a guy that you're not as high on as you're kind of alluding to as the the, the other two tackles that are like the top 10 ish guys there, but Charles mm-hmm. is the guy who's projected to be available at nine. Um, and if they're not going to trade up, um, he was a guy they could take. I think I've mocked him there to the Seahawks in the past. Other people have as well. He played in that pass heavy Mike Leach air raid system. And me and Chris, two Washington state alums are very familiar with that. Right. And the, the, the run to pass to run ratio is slanted heavily <laughs> to the pass. Like I put it this way for people who aren't familiar, like, Max Borgie, the running back from Washington State, said when he showed up, like he committed, showed up and was like, wait, there's no run plays in the playbook? <laughs> they don't call runs. Like they, everything is called a pass. If the quarterback gets to the line, he's like, all right, let's 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 hand it off here. That's yeah. what they'll do. But there's not actually like, all right, we're going to run the ball today, guys. Like, no. Nope. Like that's how – I don't know if it was the same thing at Mississippi State when Mike Leach right. got there, but that puts that in perspective there. So knowing that – um, what what are some of the advantages or maybe the disadvantages actually that like those air raid guys who play in really really sp- spread heavy systems what what disadvantages do those guys face when trying to transition to the NFL? Well, it's the same. It depends on what offense they're moving to. And so since we're you know Seahawk dudes, like um, I think it's very hard for them to transition to to a Seahawk Seahawk offense because it's gonna there's going to be running plays. <laughs> right, a lot of them. They're, they're not going to open the. They're not going to open the playbook and be like, "Hey, where's the running place?" It's, it's, they're probably going to learn that first. Um, but uh, and so when when I watch his film, and even you know when I watch the the Lucas kid from um, from Washington State and some yeah. other guys in the past from Washington State, when you're running from that two point stance, it's really hard to be an effective run blocker. It's just because you can't get your your pads low enough. The defenders are usually already lower than you are because they're in a three-point stance or four-point stance defensive end and uh, so they already had the leverage and so you end up just doing a whole lot of like uh, position blocking so if they're running to the outside it's almost like you're playing basketball you're trying to wall people off you're not like people movers you know like uh like iguanu is or the this kid pinning is you know that that joker can can move the, the broad side of a barn uh but uh and and the thing that's the thing that kind of worries me about uh about cross is that he's a good player i don't know if he's a player that fits seattle because they want to run the ball. They want you to put your hand in the dirt 
and they want you to move people. And I haven't seen him do that. Now, when it comes to pass blocking, he's a very smooth athlete. His lateral movement is really good. Uh, his footwork is is really good. He can stay in front of people. Uh, if there is a, you know, he was the guy I was saying, if there's an issue, like he carries his hands really, really low. And sometimes he gets his shoulders turned to the sideline too fast. And so when you have the combination of those and you're playing against a speed rusher, that is at least a pressure. I promise you. Because those dudes would ride, drive right through the soft shoulder and get pressure on the quarterback. So those are some of the things that I think he would have to. Uh, he, he's not. He's more of a technician and less of a power. Um, uh, he doesn't play with a whole lot of bad intentions. I put it that way. Mm-hmm. But he does get to where he's supposed to go. He gets in front of the person he's supposed to block. Uh, you know, he 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 does well in pass protection. He's a willing run blocker. I just don't know. If, like he might be the best tackle available at nine. Thing is a stretch, and I don't know that his ability fits what they want to do here in Seattle. So it could be just a mismatch if you drafted him. Uh, and so he might be better suited for, you know, uh, uh, one of the teams that just just that's going to throw it much more, like a like a uh, the Cincinnati Bengals or someone like that that is it's going to drop back and just be more throwing the ball than the Seahawks are because I don't know. It may take him a while to learn what to give them in the run game. You mentioned Abe Lucas and coming from the air raid as. Cross did as well. How challenging is it to get a guy that comes from that type of system to try to not even buy in, but play a way where we do run the football in the NFL? We're not one-sided. And I'm sure you're in the locker room where you might have seen that firsthand, but how difficult is that? It, the, the hard part, honestly, and, it, and this is like this interesting, is that it's like uh, when, this, when the NFL, you know, when the, the college teams are already doing all the spread stuff and taking 80% of the snaps from the shotgun and all this stuff. And then when those quarterbacks would come to the league and have to get under the center, then they're like, oh man, like he's been in the shotgun so long. He doesn't know how to take center snaps. He doesn't know. How, it just takes a while to, to train your body to do that when you haven't done it. So if you're an offensive lineman, you've been in a two point stance and most of the run plays in those spread offenses, they're not power running plays. They're more like glorified draw plays. And so you're just trying to position yourself to you know, wall a guy off. You're not trying to move someone. And so in this offense, it's a it's a you know three and four tight ends, and they're trying to move people and they're pulling and trapping and all those kinds of things. And so it it will I think it would be a transition for him to um, learn to play like that. Uh, and then and then you have to develop a mentality that uh, you know, like I said, that you know you're just going to be a, a meat eater, man, and you're going to stick your face in the fan and and uh and be able to you know to deal with that and and have the power to drive through it so then you'd have to retrain all that muscle memory how you're coming out of your stance because you think about it you know you're you're basically standing up and then trying to get low to go block someone so you you're losing all the power but where in your three-point stance your power is more horizontal and then vertical versus being vertical and then trying to come down so you have to kind of retrain some of that so I, i think it can be it can be difficult i think it can be a difficult transition to where you just hope that they become efficient at run blocking, but they're never probably going to be great at run blocking. Mm. Yeah, because that that was kind of the thing with Stone Forsyth last year as yeah. well, too. Like Florida was like, I don't I don't necessarily they said they were an air raid team over there in Florida when Stone was there, but they definitely weren't running the ball. <laughs> right. Like we're, we're going we're going past. Is does it take well like with Stone, they're probably hoping like, all right, you sat for a year. We didn't mm-hmm. train you up on some things with any of these guys, not just Charles, not just Abe Lucas, any of these guys who come from these spread systems in college. Does it does it take a year, a full year to, to get that down? You think like going from a pass heavy thing to the run type, the type of runs that the, that they'll have in the NFL? Yeah. The, especially the type of runs the Seahawks run, you know, they yeah. very you know, power heavy between the tackles type thing where, like I said, like you're working double teams and working up to the next level, or you have a, a man blocked by yourself on the edge and you have to like move a dude. And, uh, uh, those guys that come from the spread, uh, they just they that's just not what they do. That's not what they've been asked to do. You know, they've been there for four years at whatever, however long they started. No one has asked them to put their hand in the dirt, be a bulldozer and take another 300 pound man and move him six to 12 inches. You know what I'm saying? Like they've just been like, hey, like we're going to you know wall this dude off. We're going to hit this kind of fast and, you know, you're on your way. And so uh, when I watch uh, Lucas and Cross, they're both similar uh, in that they are very technically sound, you know, and good athletes and they get on blocks. They don't sustain blocks as much as the uh, uh, Penning and Cross and I mean, um, Neil and Iguanu do, uh, do uh, but they get to their guy and they, they get on them and they 
you know, they're big enough to cover them up that you can run, you know, past them or whatever. But like I said, that's college talent. That's not NFL NFL dude that's ripping and, you know, gripping and trying to get off the block and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I, th- I think it can take, it could take maybe a, a good year in a training camp to, to try to get your mindset, you know, and, uh, and, and just repping it over and over and over and over and over and, and not, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, giving up on yourself and your ability to do it. So, so, you know, just, just been asked to do something different. If there's one thing we know the Seahawks are going to do, that is get back to the run. And Pete Carroll has been talking about it. What seems like forever. Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa. Is he someone that can, check all the boxes to get this running game back to where Pete envisions it being regardless of who the quarterback is. Cause Pete thinks, you know, he can grab Mike and I, as long as we can hand the ball <laughs> off and not throw interceptions, we can win. Yeah. The, the thing I like about Trevor, man, is like when you see a dude that the minute you see him play, you go like, I wish I could fight that dude. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Like, <laughs> that, that, that is Trevor. Like it's like, like I don't know this dude from Adam, but the the very first play, I was like, dude, I would punch this dude right in the face. Like he just, he just, I just want to fight him right from the very beginning because mm. he pulls that out of you. Like the like he's a jerk, <laughs> you know, most of the, a lot of the times, and he's a big dude, and a lot of those dudes couldn't do anything about it, and uh, and he was just driving dudes into the dirt. And the, the thing that uh, uh, and that's what I love, like of all of the tackles, he is the one that had the absolute most just nastiness to him. Like I like I talked to the offensive line at UVA quite a bit. And the, and the, the one phrase that I always use is low, hard, mean and nasty and double up on the nasty. This dude has like quadrupled up on the nasty. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I love it because I was just like, but like as soon as I watched the film, my hands were like, OK, here we go. <laughs> to the screen and hit this dude um uh and so that's what i love about him man and he is unapologetically that like when you watch him at the the film that he had at the senior bowl <laughs> just throwing dudes around and like laying down on them pushing on them like uh all that kind of stuff i love that the the, the he's the one dude though that the way he kind of grabs dudes and throws them down those will be holding calls in the nfl mm-hmm. like even in his pass protection okay. like guys are about to go around the corner and he would just take them and sling them down and that flag would come out right away. He's a dude that, to me, he seems more right tackle than left tackle. He's a little bit okay. stiff, and he plays a little bit tall. You know, he's six seven or whatever it is. Uh, he plays a little bit tall, um, but his aggression and stuff like that, I feel like he's more suited for a right tackle than a left tackle. I don't know if his feet are uh, – he has good feet for a guy that big, but like we said before, is that good enough to survive in the NFL? I played with a dude in Detroit, Aaron Gibson, from – Wisconsin, who was a first-round draft pick and was legitimately 400 pounds. But this dude could dunk a basketball. He could do a, He could stand in place and do a backflip. He could do splits. Oh, wow. This dude was, like, unbelievably athletic. But it wasn't enough uh, of an athlete to play out on the edge of where he where he had been playing in college. You know what I'm saying? So they so eventually they moved into the, to the inside and tried to play him at guard, and injuries kind of got in his way. But uh, so people will say, like, man, he moves great for a big dude. Just like, yeah, but is that is the is that moving great good enough to survive in the NFL? And I don't know that uh, Penning is a dude that you can put on at the left tackle spot in the league with some of these elite rushers, and 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 he's gonna do okay. I think he would be better on the right side, and then then you most teams are right-handed, so they tend to run the ball to the right more, so then you can get more value out of him on the right side as a run blocker. What did you see? You mentioned it a little bit, but what else did you see from him as a pass protector that made you go, I like this, and these are some things that he still needs to definitely improve on? Because the Seahawks will throw the ball eventually, but yeah. What are, yeah. Yeah. I, well, he has super long arms, and he, he, does, he does a really good job of uh, keeping people off his body. Uh, so he's, you know, he's able to, like, 
the last thing you want to do as a as a pass blocker is allow the, the defender to get all up in your all up in your grill because now you you've lost all your advantage of your length. And so he does a really good job of keeping people out of his body and pass protection. And that's when he's that's when he has the most success. When people uh there's been like some smaller guys that kind of get their rip into his uh underarm here, and that's when you'll see him just kind of throw dudes to the ground because then he hasn't doesn't have like kind of the athletic ability to to turn and press and get off of that defender to create that space again. And so I think that's kind of where he gets uh in trouble. So like a, a real true speed rusher that is like attacking his outside shoulder, I think will give him a, a, a tough time. But if you have a guy that's lined up right up like right on him and he can get his hands on him right away, he'll be fine. Uh, so it's not so it sounds like you got a little got a little bit of love soft spot for Mr. Trevor Penning here. Do you think he could be I, 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 I do. I, I think it, I would be excited to see Seahawks draft him. And there's a lot of dudes were talking about him on social media, and I hadn't looked at him yet. And uh, and so I, I I got a chance to take a, a look at him because I was just intrigued by what everybody was saying. And uh, but no, I I think I think he has the ability, uh, an opportunity uh, to be a, a solid lineman uh, in the NFL. I don't know if he'd be a superstar or whatever, uh, but uh, but with his size, his length, athletic ability that he does has, and then the dude is just fearless. Because the way he plays, you have to be fearless because somebody's going to come after you at some point, and you have to be ready to defend yourself. Because they're, they're, someone's going to come, I promise you, they're going to they're going to come after him. You know, because of the way he plays, and I love that. I I, I love that about him. I don't want to put words in your mouth, so you're potentially saying he could be a day one starter. I think he could be. Okay. Yeah. 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 I I I think because even you know with uh, I would say he and Cross are probably if I had to grade their pass protection, they're probably really similar, but I, I like the way that Penning uses his hands better. Whereas I told you cross carries his hands low a lot. And so it's kind of hard to get a punch off of that because you're kind of uppercutting and reaching out and grabbing. And then also when your arms are low and those guys are rushing, they can pin your arms down. And now you, you have nothing left to, to defend. So they're coming off the corner, leaning at 45 degree angle. And then whatever you put on them is going to push them right to the quarterback. And so uh, Trevor does a better job of creating some separation with his hands. So I, I just want to like read this out for everyone um, here who you know maybe doesn't watch a lot of Northern Iowa film. You know, not familiar with Trevor Penning. Uh, he is six seven, three hundred and twenty five pounds with thirty four inch arms, thirty four and a quarter uh, inch arms, eighty two uh, inch wingspan. Uh, hands are 10, uh, 10, uh, 10 and one eighth. I'm not fighting that dude, Ray. I don't know. <laughs> like I wanted to make, I wanted to jump in that right away here. Like I am not. That's not. We got different. Look, I'm five. I'm about five eight. About one sixty four, depending on if I ate some pasta before if I got on the scale. Right, Chris. What, what, I'm what a little you? guy, man. We just gonna say that I'm okay. five four, buck forty five. Okay. Man. <laughs> we, I'm the people who are not watching. We, I'm pointing at me and Chris. We don't see six seven dudes and think <laughs> I could take them. <laughs> I'm not even sure. Me and Chris is taking him together. <laughs> like, that's, not sure. We are not. I mean, we have no shot. I'll that's, pass. That's we probably end up looking like, uh, what's his name? The commentator, uh, Jeff Van Gundy. Oh, yeah. He was oh, on yeah. To ankles. Uh, there's a Knicks game. I can't yeah, remember. It yeah. was the Knicks game and there was yeah. a brawl and he tried to save the day. That's exactly that's what it looked like. Yeah, you, gotta, nah, you, you guys have to pull the old school. Someone walk up and kneel behind him, push him over. <laughs> <laughs> then you and then you jump on him and and then you might have a chance. Like at that oh, point. he's like a turtle. You can't roll over. Is that where you're getting at? <laughs> Yo, that is. Stick oh run, man, stick and run, stick and move. Stick and yeah, move. I heard that. I'm like, oh, yeah, Ray's different than us. I got. to remember he played in the NFL. Yeah, was Ray dude. was a monster and played football <laughs> and was nasty for a long time out there. So I get it. Yeah, um, yeah that 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 that's a little different. Right, one more, one last thing on Trevor. So you like him? He can run block. Um, has some issues in pass protection, but like you, you see a foundation that they can build on. Yeah. What what type of draft pick is that worth? Is that worth nine? Is that worth maybe trading back? What's that worth? No, he's he's another dude. If you know, if you can get him, if if they traded back and picked up some other draft picks, and they were trading back specifically to get an offensive lineman, that might be the dude that I trade back to get. Like yeah. I, I think I would pick him over Cross. And, uh, oh, and but okay. if you stayed status quo and he was still there, like I think they have a couple picks in the second round or something. Yeah, forty uh, and forty-one in the second yeah, round. Yeah, you can you can if you can grab him in the second round, uh, he could still be a a, a first you know, you know first day starter from the second round from the second round position. But uh, was didn't wasn't aware of him very much at all until a few days ago. Just hearing watching people talk about him a lot 
on Twitter. And so then I've just started, you know, checking him out and seeing what he was all about. And then just, uh, like, I'm not gonna lie. I get excited with, with, uh, with just how, with how aggressive he is, you know? And, uh, you know, I, when I went to college, I was a defensive end at first. And so, oh. uh, and so I tried to play offense like a defensive player because I'm just like, dude, I'm not letting, I'm not letting anyone dictate to me. I'm taking it to everybody. And so that's kind of how he reminded me of, of that type of mentality. The thing, um, this will be the last thing before we get you out of here, Ray. It's not necessarily a question, but it is something. So I'm I'm not in the whole running backs don't matter crowd because I think that's silly. Right. Like I think that's too far on the one end of the spectrum. But I do think like in terms of positional value, the injury risk at that position, uh, the efficiency of the passing game with the new rules, like there is something to devalue the position just because I mean, look at the salary cap. I mean, look at the franchise tag numbers. So the lowest right. running backs are the lowest, right? Look at the average annual salary of running backs. It's the lowest. So it's them and kickers and punters, right? This is in fullbacks. There's a reason for that. Like the NFL kind of agrees there. But when I do all this research on like running versus passing, the thing that is really consistent there is that when you talk to O linemen, they're like, dude, we want to run block. We will do it every play if that's what it, if it's working. We will run yeah. the ball every play. Like I can't, there's plenty of drives that like, symbolizes but i remember specifically it's probably pete carroll's favorite drive of last year it's the pittsburgh game first drive of the second half third quarter ran the ball i think literally every play until they got to the goal line and then just ran play action to will disley for a touchdown it was like nine yeah. runs yeah i, guess, I, I, think, I, I think it was nine straight runs they had yeah. coming out of, out of halftime well here's how i explain it to everybody when you first start playing this game um it's a thrill to to just knock the breath out of people it's a thrill to just have all of your body weight fall on a person and you hear them go, like you, hear that. <laughs> you, you hear that, right? That's, that's, that's why you play. Like you, you want that type of physical play. You don't get that in pass protection. Mm-hmm. You just don't like, I don't care how hard you punch a dude. I don't care how hard, how the intentions you have, because you have to be so much more under control when you do it. But run blocking, you get to impose your will on another grown ass man. Mm. And it happens. And so <laughs> when you look at when you look at like all of the the data about running versus throwing and all this other kind of stuff, the data can't account for that. The data can't account for when I'm busting, uh, when I'm killing it, and mm-hmm. then I can see in your face that you're going like, "Man, I want to go to the sideline." The data <laughs> can't account for that. You know what I'm saying? The data can't account for when I'm when we're running the ball and down your throat, and these dudes are just want to rush the quarterback. They don't like it when it gets loud and nasty and dirty like that. And so they start looking to the sideline, patting their helmet like I want to come out of the game. So the data can't account for that. But your but your physicalness and you see it with your own eyes that you are imposing your will on this person and that you're making them quit. And you say like, nah, in this NFL, nobody quits. No, nah, some of them do. Some of them do when you're running the ball like that. And so and so that's why it's important uh, to me like to, to be able to run the ball. Because it, it does impact the game in a way that the data uh, can't cap- capture, and it also uh, creates a mindset for for an offensive line and for an offense that the data can't capture. And so that will make you know when you're when you're running the ball like that, and then all of a sudden you start throwing the ball. These dudes are tired of getting up off the ground. They're tired of <laughs> three hundred and some pounds falling on top of them, yeah. you know. And they're tired of like being on the pile, having to tackle a, a running back like a Chris Carson is busting through the line, knees pumping, you know, chest high, like the. Dudes get tired of doing that, and they start making business decisions. And mm. when they start making those business decisions, that impacts the game. Now it's it's easy to pass block because those dudes aren't coming off the ball as hard. You know, play action pass. Like you don't need a good running game to have play action pass, but when you have a good running game, it makes it that much better. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so those are things that like along the offensive line that like the you know the the next gen data folks don't quite understand. And uh, and I get all the data. I've 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 had to grow into liking it and understanding it and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, like I've played against some of the all time best defensive linemen in this, in the history of this league. And when I've played on teams, when we're running the ball down their throats, I've seen them looking to the sideline, just wanting to come in on pass rushing plays. It happens. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? You, you, the data doesn't capture any of that. Speaking of running the football, I know one more thing here. I'm sorry. How excited did you get when you got a chance to pull and you got to see a little corner out there and you're like, oh, I'm a crush. Like you said, he going to knock the <laughs> breath out of him. You're going to crush him. Like, how excited do you get when you get to go after the little dudes, the corners, sometimes even the safety? 
Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that that was like uh, one of my calling cards coming into the league is for, you know, a guy that was six six three 305 pounds. You know, I could pull and run and, and block on the run really well. And, uh, and so we did a lot of that here in Seattle when I when we had Chris Warren. So we ran like a true counter where you pull in the guard and the tackle. And, uh, and so you get to come around that corner, man, and you just you're just looking for the air hole of the opposite color. And you just you put everything you have into the air hole of the opposite color, whether they're you're wearing a 30, 20 number or they're wearing a 55, you know, 56 number. That's what you're looking to do. And so uh, the, the most fun I had doing it was in Detroit. Because I'd pull around, we'd block the tight end down. I'd pull around, they'd toss the ball to Barry. So here comes me and Barry. And the thing that was interesting is, you know, Barry's like, like all over the place. And so the DBs are like, uh, you know, and then boom, like, they're, and then they're, and so you can see their eyes, their eyes are like this big because they're like, well, here comes this big brother about to hit me. And I have to figure out where Barry is. And it was like a beautiful thing. I loved it. It was like one of my favorite plays. And I love it, it just, the way Barry was set, set it up, it just made it really easy to annihilate mm-hmm. dudes. And uh, and so I, I love that was one of the favorite when I was when I had to go interview with teams and they would tell me to draw up a play that I like. I always drew up the counter because I mm-hmm. want the people to pull and, and run. Yeah, I need to do I'm, I need to find a story on it. Maybe just a separate podcast series. We do just the ego associated with running the ball. Like oh, yeah. there is something to that. I think that. Another thing, not to, I don't think it should be overstated. Like I think Brandon Staley has found a good balance when you hear him talk about the Chargers head coach. Mm-hmm. But there is something I think that's a lot of it. It's like I just want to kick a dude's ass today, so we're gonna run power. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we're gonna run it again and again and again. <laughs> oh, now we're on the goal line. So let's run it again. Like I, well, I coached uh, coach high school football at Interlake High School uh, over in Bellevue, and our high, our uh, our rival was Sammamish, which is right down the road, and they called it the Crossroads Cup. And uh, I was uh, Luke Hewitt was our head coach, so he's one, he's the youngest of the Hewitt brothers, and so we we were one of the first teams to bring all that spread stuff you know, to to football here because Luke just wanted to throw it all over the yard, and so we went to play um, uh, Sammamish one year. We had this uh, running back Thomas uh, Brooks Fletcher. If he ran like four 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 five, he would have been a Pac twelve dude at the time, uh, but ran like four six or whatever. We ran the ball. Uh, the first drive, we ran the ball like eight or nine straight times mm. outside zone. The very first play we ran was power. And and then we just ran outside zone, inside zone from that point on. And Luke kept going like, when can we throw it, Ray? I said, whenever they stop us from running it three times. <laughs> and so Damn. this dude ended up with like 40 carries and like 475 yards rushing. Sheesh. And, and, and Luke was like, when can we throw it? I said, when they stop us three times. Like, like <laughs> We're gonna run. We're gonna run this mug until he just. We can. We're gonna run all the air out of this dude. And uh, and so this this reporter came down. Was like, man, you guys are only like 15 yards away from this dude breaking like the uh, the state record for the single game rushing record. So we go, Thomas, like, get back in there. And so he ran the ball like one more, one or two more times. He came back. He's like, coach, man, I'm just so tired, bro. I can't, I can't even get it, bro. I'm tired. So like, can just somebody else go in? And so we put someone else in. We still ran the ball, but it was Damn. just. Like, <laughs> but we ran the, we had one player, Thomas Rush, for at the time, I think it might have been the second most r- rushing yards in a single game mm. in the state. I, I think it's been surpassed now, but it's 475 yards. And I'm oh like, we're not God. passing it until they stop us three straight times running the ball. Damn, okay, we got to keep that story away from Pete Carroll because he might. <laughs> He might have Rashad Penny try to do that in a game, like try to get try to break that record. Because yeah, there, there's yeah. just something there's, there's that attitude that comes with running the football, like you said, just putting another grown man on his ass. They just yeah. no, I, I I get that, I get that. I I'm do. still not fighting Trevor Penny, nope. But I get. It. <laughs> I, I, so let me I, just I, make this clear, me and Trevor are not squaring up. <laughs> oh yeah, no. But now we gotta get Trevor on the show whether they draft him or not. Just yeah. like, show show him some love. Exactly. Yeah. Now let him know no smoke over here. <laughs> it's all love, man. Yeah, six six seven three twenty five. Now we we ain't doing that. I feel a lot smarter though with the with the offensive lineman, man. Oh this yeah, is no, great. No, Ray, we appreciate no, you, time, man. man. You like for people to like, I've I've quoted Ray in some of my stories in the Athletic, man, and just even talk standing next to Ray on the sidelines or in training camp. I'm just learning so much. As you guys could just just listen to hand placement. Uh, feet mm-hmm. stuff like you can tell before the snap what play is about to happen that is like when you when you when you talk to guys who played in the league i don't want to devalue what tony romo does but you see why it's so easy for him to do that on right. cbs because yeah. when you play there are so many tells with the, the to the naked eye yeah. you just don't recognize so but the thing yeah. i appreciate mike is that you are have a willingness to understand offensive line play because there's a lot of people that don't and they think they know what they're talking about. And it's really hard sometimes to just bite your tongue because 
I don't know if you noticed, I like to argue and debate. And 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 so I'll jump in like, you, you know, I've, <laughs> you and I've debated things and it's not a personal thing with me. There's an article where my dad said that dude to argue with a stop sign. I just like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can show you a, a photo. I sent this to G. Scott one time. Is a is a my dad was being interviewed about me getting drafted and stuff, and they and they asked him like, "But what is one thing about Ray that most people don't know?" And he goes, "That dude will take the other side of any argument. He will mm-hmm. argue with a stop sign." That's it. That was an exact. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So and so I I I love I love doing it, but there's so many people that think they know offensive line play and they just don't. They just mm-hmm. they think it's a, a scheme or a system or or it's breaking down because of one dude is stronger than the other dude. And and yeah, that happens sometimes, but most of the time it's hands and feet, bro. If mm-hmm. you if you don't have good hands and good feet, you can't play offensive line in the NFL. It's just that yeah. simple. Well, Ray, we appreciate you, ladies and gentlemen. That's Ray Roberts, man. Breaking down O-line stuff. Does does a great job. Go to Ray for a lot of online questions where I'm just asking anything. You know, what do you think <laughs> about this guy? How do I tell split zone from outside zone and duo and just all of these just schematic things? It's just I'm, Like Ray said, I'm trying to learn. And then bring that to you guys. I'm glad we got Ray to make his first appearance yes. on the show. Yes. Uh, can't be oh, your last appearance, Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I love all that, that, uh, you know, the, the voice that you bring to it, Mike, you know, obviously this is my first time, you know, meeting you, Christopher, but, you know, following, following you on, 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 on the social media stuff, Mike, and just, uh, you, you know, just your perspective and your, your, uh, you know, what you bring to it is a little bit different than other people, you know, just your unapologetically who you are and, and, and I can respect that, you know, even if there's, you know, you can, it's okay. Like this is a different topic, but I, I tell G Scott this all, all the time. It's okay for brothers to disagree and right. still be and still be boys. It's, yeah. it's like there's so much in our in our society stuff that want us to disagree and hate each other. And it's like no, we can just we have a lot that we agree on, and this one thing we just don't agree on, and that's fine. And I'm still right. going to talk to you tomorrow. I'm still going to come on your podcast. I'm still going to you know hook you up when I can hook you up. Like that's this you know all that stuff still exists. You know. All right. Thank yeah. You're right. Hundred percent right. Thank you, Ray, for joining yes. us. Thank you guys for yes, listening sir. to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, YouTube, Spotify, The Athletic, everywhere, Apple, everywhere, everywhere. Tell a friend, tell a friend. Appreciate you, Ray. Thank you for helping us with our pre-draft coverage. Guys, we'll continue with more position groups ahead of the draft starting on April 28th. Yeah. Yep. yep. So until then, we'll catch you guys next time. We're out. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.